When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Chris Peters and this is episode 19 of the podcast and it has been a few weeks and I apologize for my absence but it's good to hear the old theme music again and get back into the mood to talk about some hockey. It's been really busy and that's uh, that's the reason I've been away. I was away from my home office. I was away from uh, everything for a little bit there as I was at the World Junior Summer Showcase in Plymouth, Michigan and then I came back and then it was Ivan Holinka time and there's just a lot to get to so I figured instead of trying to rush a podcast out and not giving you the quality that you deserve, I was going to come back with something much better. Um, And we're going to try. I don't know if it will be, but we're going to try. But we've got a QA and a today. I will have a guest next week already lined up. We're going to talk very in-depth about the 2022 NHL draft, so stay tuned for that. But we are going to talk a bit about the 2022 draft today because the Holinka Gretzky Cup just ended, um, and there's a lot to get to. And I also have a lot up on... Uh, hockey sense as well, so we'll get to that too, but we haven't talked since the NHL draft happened, and it's uh, it's a little late to try and kind of recap that. We have some questions that will help me recap the NHL draft, which we'll, we'll get to a bit later, but you know, I think that you know, looking back now and having a couple of weeks between now and the draft, it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to kind of assess uh, in a more sober fashion. I think that emotion and our own opinions can get the better of us as we analyze things close to the draft. So I actually took a day, an extra day, um, you know, while I was in Plymouth to assess everything, let the draft kind of marinate for a bit. And then I did a full evaluation of all 32 draft classes. You can find that on Hockey Sense on Substack. Again, that's hockeysense.substack.com. It is a premium piece, so you will have to subscribe if you'd like to read it. But I did want to address some of the classes that I thought were exceptional and some of the things that I didn't love from the NHL draft. But I, I think you look at some of the different things, some of the standout stories and, and things like that. Obviously, we saw Luke Hughes get drafted to the New Jersey Devils to join Brother Jack there and and, and watch Quinn's visible jealousy as, uh, as his two younger brothers get to play. And I know that Quinn worked a lot with Luke uh, during the pandemic, uh, getting him ready for this season because they are such similar players. And 
Uh, I'm sure he's very happy for his brothers and, and a little bit jealous, but obviously we also saw how happy Jack Hughes was that little brother Luke was going to be on the team. And then we got to see Luke at the World Junior Summer Showcase show that there are no signs of, of that injury that he suffered late in the season hindering him as he prepares for his freshman year at the University of Michigan, which had a great draft. And that brings me to my next point. You know, even looking back on it, it was amazing at the time. It's more amazing now. Four of the first five picks in the NHL draft are either current or will be players at the University of Michigan next season. You had number one, Owen Power, number two, Matty Beneers, number four, Luke Hughes, and number five, Kent Johnson. And also, Mackie Samuskevich, picked later in the first round by the Florida Panthers, also going to Michigan next year. So a pretty remarkable thing to, to have seen. It's never happened before where you've had two teammates go 1-2 in the modern NHL draft. And, you know, it's 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 never happened in college hockey. Um, I don't think, you know, it never happened where two college players at all had gone 1-2. And some of that's because, obviously, a lot of the players are younger and the college players that come in, um, you know, don't. They're, they're, they're not college eligible yet when they're drafted, but obviously these late birth dates were. Then you see Luke Hughes go at number four and Kent Johnson at number five. And I had heard just the night before the draft is like a lot of people were starting to say, hey, I think keep an eye on Columbus for Kent Johnson. They seem to be really high on him. And it's no wonder why. You get dynamic talents and, and I mean, you know, and then they, Columbus had just a tremendous draft overall. And I'll talk about them when we talk about those premier classes that we'll remember, that I think we'll remember from this class. Because as we all know, it's impossible to effectively grade a class in the in the aftermath. We can only grade them based on the information that we have now. In five years, that grade may change as players develop and things change. But we only have the information that we do now. It's the same way that we do picks and make these lists. I know that a lot of people get up in arms and say, you can't, you can't judge a class yet. And I was like, mostly that's true. But there is a little bit, you know, if, if you're somebody that studies this throughout the year, that has watched these players throughout the year, you know, you have at least an idea of who you think did well. And so as we as we kind of transition, you know, we talked about the good stuff. We have to talk about the bad stuff, too, because there was some bad stuff. And, you know, we've we've addressed it in print. I, I, I wrote about it extensively um, on Hockey Sense and obviously the pick of Logan Mayu by the Montreal Canadiens uh, at 31st overall was the thud that ended the draft, followed by the Chicago Blackhawks, and they're, you know they're they've 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 hired a lot of um, women into their front office, and they brought them in, and you know they have women in scouting positions and things like that, and it was to to have that pick followed by that situation. Obviously, the Blackhawks have their own set of issues right now, dealing with multiple lawsuits that we've talked about on this podcast before. You know, it was just such a oh, such a downer way to end the first round, and it, it it's the lasting image of that. And in the aftermath, owner Jeff Molson of the Montreal Canadiens said Logan May will not be in training camp. He will not be at their development camp if they have one. Um, and you know, the thing that stood out from the statement that was released by the Canadiens owner was that they didn't fully understand how this could Im- negatively impact the victim and people that have suffered from similar situations and. You know, we've we've addressed what happened with Logan Mayu before, um, and I, it's in print. And I think that I've I've more clearly stated how I feel about the situation in print. But you know, just in reading that announcement that came out last week, 
it's just disappointing. You know, it's disappointing. I guess two weeks ago now, it's disappointing that they didn't have the forethought to prevent that from happening. And, you know, I, I think that I, I am a believer in second chances, but boy, to make that second chance a first round pick to have put your stamp of approval on a player in a sport where we just are so dead centered on character and honor and all these other things. I mean, it, it was really, that was a disappointing moment uh, in the draft. And it's one that I think will be a lasting memory from the draft. It'll be a lasting piece of Mark Bergevin's legacy coming off of a remarkable season where the Montreal Canadiens went on a, a Stanley Cup run, built up all this goodwill, and dashed it immediately. Um, you know, just a really disappointing thing to see happen. But, you know, and, and, and in the end, as I've said before, I don't, I couldn't even defend the pick on the merits of, of the player. You know, the on-ice portion is not important, but it's obviously a big part of their decision because it's it was the only part of their decision. Because if they took the off-ice stuff, it wouldn't have mattered. But either way, I I had Logan Mayu draft, you know, listed 95th before I knew what happened. Then I put him as a as a do not draft. And and you know, normally I don't I'm not drafting, so I don't have to make a do not draft list. But I did for for that purpose, just because I think it was an important piece of the story. And it was weird to go from analyzing the draft to suddenly having to you know. Think about this in a completely different way. It went from a, you know, analyzing the players as they were picked and analyzing them for all the hockey reasons, and then all of a sudden a non-hockey reason took over the draft. And so, um, yeah, it's 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 still even weeks later, it's still kind of hard to wrap your head around. But um, as I said, I've covered it, you know, on hockey sense. And there's so much more there uh, as well that you can read about, um, that, you know, we did do a complete pick by pick analysis in the first round that is free to read on the website. You can, uh, find it on hockeysense.substack.com and I addressed it in that as well. So, um, you can certainly see my thoughts in the moment and then read later. I, I also addressed it again, thoughts with, with a little bit more time to think about it, but, Going back to the the draft as it was and the classes that I thought were exceptional, you know, I, I didn't give out. I've been trying to be a lot more strict about the grades that I give out um, and, and different, you know, how I feel about certain classes. And there's typically in, an, in a normal draft, most of the classes are going to be, you know, C grade or, you know, B grades because they're average or slightly above average. It's very rare where you get these these situations where um, the draft class is so transformative for your organization that you can get an A grade. But I did give out two uh, two A's, two straight A's in the uh, uh, in the first round, and there were a couple A minuses and things like that. But in terms of the A grade, the Colorado or sorry, the Columbus Blue Jackets. With three first-round picks, and that that what a day Yarmo Kekalainen had trading away Seth Jones, getting three top fifteen picks, or sorry, two top fifteen picks, um, with getting that pick from Chicago in the Seth Jones trade. You know, you not losing one of the picks that they had later in the draft. They traded that to Chicago, but then got you know, so they they. They basically swapped picks, so they were able to pick earlier than they would have anyway. So they picked 5, 12, and 25, and we mentioned Kent Johnson was taking 5th. Cole Sillinger was taking 12th, and 25th overall was Corson Kuhlemans. And 
I love their draft on, you know, they, they took five guys that I had in my top 100 um, in, in their first five picks. And getting Guillaume Richard at 101, I think, is going to be a very nice value pick for them as he heads off to the Providence College. But the top three picks in that draft, I think those players can potentially be transformative players for this franchise. Because the, the Columbus Blue Jackets, when they had Artemi Panarin, they had dynamic skill. They had somebody that could make plays that other players just simply cannot make. Um, and I think they're going to get that again with Kent Johnson down the road. It's going to take him a little while to get there, but and I don't necessarily think he's going to play at an MVP level, but he's going to be a highly skilled player that helps you a lot. Cole Sillinger, one of the other skilled players of the draft, one of the best shots in the draft, a tremendous release. I love everything about you know what he can do. He's not a great skater, and neither is Kent Johnson. That's something that will have to come up, but they are highly, highly intelligent players that make tremendous plays with creativity. And Sillinger has one of the better releases that we've seen. He's got, you know, the pro, uh, Mike, he's Mike Sillinger's son, so he's got that pro pedigree, which a lot of teams like because those guys have a different level. They've seen the game at a different level than a lot of their peers have. And so I, I like that. And he, you know, Sillinger made the decision to go from the WHL to the USHL, came down and played in Sioux Falls, and by day, you know, probably his fifth game in the league, he was one of the best players in the league. And he, he scored in his first game. I mean, he's just, he could score from distance. He could score from in tight. He can make plays. I just like the pick a lot. Corson Kuhlman's at 25th overall, a very talented, you know, offensive defenseman, great skater. This was, we talked about the draft and not a lot of guys could really skate that well. Corson Kuhlman's was a guy that I really liked in terms of his skating abilities, his, his north-south speed, his footwork, all those things I, I liked a lot about him. I think he's got good offensive instincts. He just didn't play a lot last year. You know, he's playing the AJHL. They were shut down for a bit. Then he joins Canada at the World Under-18 Championship and becomes a top four defenseman on a gold medal team. He's headed to the University of Wisconsin next year. He's a guy that I think you're going to need to leave there for two, three years to make sure you get the most out of him. It'll probably only be two. But, you know, you get get the most out of him, allow him to develop in a place where you've seen, you know, Keandre Miller transform as a player. You know, you've seen guys like Wyatt Kalanuck has become an NHL defenseman. Um, yeah, I've really liked what, what Ty Emerson did in terms of his development there. Another defenseman that is kind of under the radar but should be a good one for the Arizona Coyotes. So, you know, there's a lot to like about that class. And then they also got Stanislav Svozil at 69th overall. And Svozil is uh, a raw prospect who played primarily in the Czech Pro League last season. I'm going to be very interested to see how he transitions to North America. I didn't love his under 18 world championship, but you see the upside there that he has tools. Um, and their last pick, 197, Martin Risavi uh, from the Czech Republic as well, saw him as teammates with Svozil at the World Under-18 Championship. And there's a lot of tools there. He's got some power in his game. He's got some good strength. He, he makes plays. He's a good passer. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to like. And, and so they were one of the A grades in the class. And then the other A grade um, that, you know, I, was pretty easy to hand out because pretty much any time you have the number one overall pick, it's almost impossible to knock it an A grade because you are picking potentially transformative players. Owen Power at number one, no-brainer for, for Buffalo. Obviously, you know, you have a defenseman that's going to make a change for your franchise and who's going to help you and be a foundational player. I do believe Owen Power can be that. Uh, the the Sabres also traded Rasmus Ristolainen and got the 14th overall pick. They picked Isak Rosin, or Isaac Rosen, as he'll probably end up being called when he, when he makes it to North America. But Isak Rosin was, uh, you know, a very fast scoring winger, I think there were better players available on the board, but that's not terribly far from where I had him ranked. 
Um, I, I just think that based on the value that was left on the board, they might have left a little something on the table. However, he plays a style that I think will fit in very well with the modern NHL. I love his skating ability. He's got a lightning release um, and a heavy shot as well. They also picked one of my favorite players in the draft at 33rd overall, Prohor Poltapov, very early in the second round. A hard worker, a highly skilled player. They also have 53rd overall, Alexander Kisikov, who I think is one of the better goal scorers. You know, he's he he is a guy that needs to tack on a ton of strength. He's a very thin, um, lanky kind of forward. I think a lot of the same concerns about Elias Pettersson were same with with Kisikov in terms of his physical profile. You know, can he can he stand up to that uh, to that kind of uh, you know difficult uh, physical game? I think he's doing very well in the, in the in Russia right now, and we'll have to see. Kind of have to let that play out. But um, you know, Olivier Nadeau at ninety seventh was another pick that I liked a lot in terms of you know just betting on skill, betting on guys that you think can make some plays for you. So you know they had a good they had, they had eleven players in their draft class as well, so it helped. You know their strength in numbers. There are a lot of guys on there that you know I didn't have ranked or didn't have a good book on. Um, but at the same time, I think that, you know, getting power into the mix, I think Poltapov will be a guy that can, can help out down the road. I think Kisikov, if he, if he comes over is going to be a really talented player, uh, Rosine as well, you know, as a guy that can kind of be a middle six forward that, that gives you some scoring pop. So there's a lot to like there. Um, you know, I think there's, it's mostly a lot to like because of Owen power, but I mean, there's just a lot there. To kind of go off of and and I'll, I will mention too you know you can read all of these grades um, at hockeysense.substack.com just look for the 2021 NHL draft recap where all 32 teams are evaluated before we got out of here I did want to mention also the Seattle Kraken and they made the pick at number two to get Maddie Beneers and and Beneers um, is you know I, I think that the, the the Kraken are saying a lot of the same things that I've said throughout this process is that if you're starting a franchise, you want a player that can help you set your identity. And I think that's what Maddie Beneers will do. Now, I did get to see Beneers at the World Junior Summer Showcase. He didn't play in any games, but he did skate. He, he was he was working out with the team. And, and Nate Lehman, who's the head coach of, of the World Junior team, talked about the leadership and and what it meant to their group that Maddie Beneers was there and to be around them because he's a returning player. He didn't have to be there. He stayed at home um, in Massachusetts with his family, celebrated his draft night, and immediately that next morning was on a plane to get to Plymouth, Michigan and be part of that World Junior Camp. That tells me two things. One, it's that, you know, Maddie Beneers plans to be available for the World Juniors and, and is unlikely, you know, I think he's going to stay in school for another year. Um, I think it's unlikely that, you know, he... He, he goes to the NHL, but Seattle could potentially want to sign them. They don't have great center depth right now. I think there would be a role for him to play on their roster next season. But I do think that the best thing for him is to go and play um, a year, one more year at Michigan, master that level. Because I think that he, he, he was so good defensively and really good offensively, but I think he could be a dominant offensive player if he continues on this track. So... Um, but you know, they sent him a Jersey and everything. He got a picture with the Jersey. I was just like, this kid looks like the future of the Kraken. He looks like the face of the Kraken. My good friend, Ryan S. Clark wrote a, wrote a great feature on Maddie Beneers on the athletic and, and Ryan's been on this podcast and, and, you know, essentially says this, you know, this guy's going to be the face of the, the franchise. And I think, you know, if you're going to hang your hat on a player, there are a few better that you can find th than Maddie Beneers. 
Now, in terms of, of draft classes that I, I did not love, um, we'll get to that too because we can't be all sunshine and roses, right? So we already talked about the Montreal Canadiens. Beyond the Mayu pick, uh, I liked what they did. Other than that, you know, I think that they, I think Riley Kidney was a great pick at 63. He's a very good passer. I really like his playmaking ability. Oliver Kappen, and good two-way guy, good work ethic, good at the face-off dot, you know, has some skill. Uh, Dimitri Kostenko is a very exciting, a high upside defenseman. Uh, you know, they they kind of went and attacked a little bit of upside and, and Joshua Waugh, who was a guy that came into the season with tons of hype as a, as a potential you know top top guy in this class never really materialized. Xavier Simono, third year draft eligible, um, really you know he's an undersized player, but I liked it. But I still you know the, that first round pick I felt like was was wasted by the Canadians and and that's why I gave him a D in the grades. Um, nobody got an F, but you know I think that they would have they would have if they didn't draft so well after. The Mayu pick. I like their class aside from their first round pick and what the you know the basically the decision that they made more than the player, you know, hanging their hat on that. The next one that got in the D range, D plus, was the Ottawa Senators. And the Senators took Tyler Boucher 10th overall, which was a, an off-the-board top 10 pick. Um, and I want to say it many, many, many times. I think Tyler Boucher is going to be an NHL player. I think he's going to be a very good NHL player. I think that he's going to help your team win. He does things that help you win. He's a physical, grinded-out player who does have some skill. He's got that NHL pedigree as the son of former NHL goalie Brian Boucher. But 10th overall was too rich for my blood. And and I think that the, the Senators had a type in this draft. They wanted big, they wanted physical, they wanted somebody you know, they wanted to be nasty. You know, you look at some of the other guys that they picked, Ben Roger uh is uh, uh you know, a big defenseman that you know, doesn't have great numbers, but there is something there. I'm interested to see what kind of happens with him. Zacho stop check the the their second round pick of 39th overall. Another, you know, the only guy that I had on my list that they took was Boucher. And Boucher I had as a as a second round grade. I think a lot of it to do with the the physical nature that he plays and the injuries that he had. Um, but he did produce when he played. The issue though for me is that my concern is with the injuries that he that he built up over this last season. You know he got hurt twice essentially once that ended his season. Um, the way that he plays, is he going to be able to continue to do that and will his body hold up? I think that's a that's a, a real question. And when you're making that pick at 10th overall, especially when you look at the value that's left on the board, when you look at what's available to you, I just think there were other things that they could have done. Now, some of the things that, they, that the, the Senators have said that I absolutely agree with was that if they didn't take Tyler Boucher at 10, they probably weren't going to get him later. And they wouldn't. They certainly wouldn't have got him at 39th when they had their second round pick. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. They certainly weren't going to um, get him probably if they moved outside of the top 20. So you take the player that you like. You take a guy that you feel like is going to fit your identity. So that is a choice that they made, and I and I I I have no problem with the choice that they made because it's theirs to make, right? I just think that they are potentially leaving themselves open to a lot of criticism. Now, Trent Mann doesn't care about the criticism. The, the director of scouting talked about how he didn't, you know, the public lists don't see what they see and all those, those other things, and that's that's fair. 
But there were a lot of NHL scouts that didn't see what they saw as well. Um, you know, I got a lot of, as I wrote in my piece, it was like, you know, when I asked around NHL scouts, being at the World Junior Summer Showcase, what'd you think about what Ottawa did? And I got and got the eyes emoji. You know, like a couple of scouts didn't want to say speak badly, but they were like, yeah, you know, and, and a lot of them said that they did not have Tyler Boucher that high. But it's now on Tyler. That That's the other thing that I hate about this is that it's on Tyler Boucher to prove that they that they made the right pick. So they put a lot of pressure on a player that doesn't play a style that you normally see a top 10 pick play to to somehow live up to that standard. Um, and so that's the other thing that I, I worry about because I am such a fan of the player. I think he's really good. I think he's going to be a great addition to Boston University and a very good college player. You know, a lot of people were, were down on Brady Kachuk as well. I wasn't, and I think that he's a better player. Um, I don't see Tyler Boucher being the next Brady Kachuk, but at the same time, that was one that proved over time to be the right decision for them. So we'll see what happens. But I think the Senators had a chance to become a little bit more dynamic up front after adding Tim Stutzla last year and getting that that speed and dynamic element and could have doubled down on that a little bit more. Uh, they chose not to, and that's that's what happened. So they got six players in their class, and uh, you know it was not a for me not a not a tremendous class, but also um, not terrible either. So. Yeah, that's the way it goes. But anyway, all right. So I did want to get to our, our Q&A. We'll get to some more questions about the 2022 or the 2021 NHL draft. There is some 2022 draft questions as well. But before I do that, I just want to remind you, please go to hockeysense.substack.com. Su- subscribe to the website. It's the best way to support this podcast. It is the engine that drives the entire operation that I'm trying to run by myself. And if you want me to do these podcasts more regularly, it just helps a little bit. If you, um, you know, support the website so that I can keep doing this because this is essentially my full-time job Um, and I'm, it's been scary and everything else, but I've been so, so, so appreciative of everyone that has supported the website so far. We've had remarkable growth over the last two weeks. Obviously there was a bump from the draft. There was a bump from the world junior summer showcase. We've got our, our 2022 early list out now. So I hope there's another bump from that, but I just want to say thank you to everybody that has supported the site so far because it has been, um, I, I've been blown away by it. I, I hope it continues because I've really enjoyed doing this. I hope that you're enjoying the content as well uh, because that is what I, um, that is what I like to do. So I, I really like to, um, you know, I really like to, to have this uh, get going here and, and I hope that you guys will continue to, uh, to support it and uh, and enjoy it because it's been a lot of fun. And also, before I get to the Q&A, please, uh, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating, leave us a review, uh, and help get the word out. And I promise that I'll do more of these because uh, I, I know it's been a little bit, but we're going to come back strong. And we're going to come back right now with the Q&A that I have been teasing for a while. And the way this is going to work with the, the Q&A is I'm going to talk a little bit, you know, go first into the 2021 draft questions, then into the 2022 draft questions. And we'll get a little bit more on the World Junior Summer Showcase where so many of the recently drafted players were selected. They were playing. Uh, you know, the, the guys were in their hotel rooms or in a ballroom getting their draft picks, learning about them, and then having to compete immediately. Uh, but it was a great opportunity to be around scouts and to see those new draftees in a highly competitive environment. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that. And then we've also got some 
general prospect questions and some college hockey questions as well that I'm looking forward to answering. So we'll start things off with this question from at Andrew Widmeyer. Which players drafted outside of round one do you think will have the biggest impact on their teams down the line? Well, there are two players that I had relatively high in my first round that went much later than I anticipated they would. Um, and that is Nikita Chibrikov, who I had at 15th on my list. You know, he went 50th to Winnipeg and then 52nd overall was Atu Ratu to the New York Islanders. And he had an incredible World Junior Summer Showcase of what can only be described as the greatest um, FU performance of the, of that whole thing because he came into the year as a top-rated guy, a potential first-rounder, had a terrible draft year, completely underperformed. Then he goes and, and you know gets picked 52nd overall by the New York Islanders. It was their first pick of the draft, so they obviously have to be thrilled that they got a, a that with their first pick that they got a player of that caliber. But then he goes on and he has 14 points in six games at the World Junior Summer Showcase, and he was drafted, or he was drafted just hours before that first game at the World Junior Summer Showcase. It's that that started on day two of the draft. The draft was still going when the game started. Three players in the game were either picked during warmups or during during play, which was kind of amazing. But Ratu was the guy that really stood out and. I had him 21st on my list and I thought, you know, the body of work is such that I know the skill is there. I know that he's got some some pro-level hockey sense. I think that he can make plays. Um, you know, it's just a, is he going to compete hard enough? Is he going to be physical enough? Is he going to use his size and strength better? And, you know, I... We're not going to read too much into the World Junior Summer Showcase. It's six games worth of summer hockey, but it, it, at least it sets the stage for a season for him to be better. And I do think that he'll be one of those guys that those day two kind of selections that have a chance to be, do something special. I mean, there are a lot of guys in that in that mix, but but he was one of them. And then, as I mentioned, Chibrikov, who really slipped a lot further than I anticipated he would. You know, you think about it, was it as a Russian factor? Was there some sort of character situation? Was there what have you? But, you know, basically, I think that the Winnipeg Jets got two of the most naturally skilled players in the draft with their picks at 18 and 50. You know, getting Chaz Lucius at 18 and then getting Chibrikov at 50, that's two guys that I had in my top 15 that they got within their first 50 picks. So those are the guys that I think have the best chance to have an impact down the line on their teams. The interesting thing will be, you know, for as far as Winnipeg is concerned, Chibrikov's going to have KHL options. He's going to have, you know, it might take him a while to get there. So how patient are you willing to be with him and... And we'll have to wait and see. And, and how, how how much is he going to be willing to leave his situation with uh, St. Petersburg to go to Winnipeg? I don't know. We'll have to find out. But it's it's interesting nonetheless. And I think that he's going to be a guy that has a bit of a chip on his shoulder. But to see Ratu immediately throw it in the faces of the general managers that, that pass on him. And again, you know, I think it was complete. His slide was completely justifiable. I mean, that's, that's the other thing is that, you know, he he didn't play well and you you worry about guys that that have such a dramatic drop off from one season to the next you know to, in a situation where he didn't even make the Finland's world junior team a year after he made it as an underager you do have concerns about the overall you know what upside there you know is this is did he hit a wall is he is he re, is he plateauing those are the types of questions you have to ask yourself in a situation like that meanwhile we're looking at 
the next question, because I'm moving on. What a great transition there. And I really like this question because it causes a little bit of critical thought. And also, I think if you're an Ottawa Senators fan, you're going to like the answer. But this one comes from at Labrador Ice. Back when the Senators drafted Jake Sanderson, many said that he was a tier below the D-men coming the year after in 2021. How would Jake Sanderson compare to the 2021 D-men? If he were two to three months younger, would he have been a top five pick? I guess Drysdale, Jamie Drysdale too. Are those how, how do those D look versus the ones this year? Now, the first defenseman taken was Owen Power. The second taken was Luke Hughes. Uh, obviously, Brant Clark went. Uh, Simon Edmondson went before him. He went to the the Detroit Red Wings. And as I've gone through, if you look at the the timing and and just the way things worked out, I think last year's draft was far better than this year's draft at the top. And I had zero issue with Jake Sanderson going as high as he did at fifth overall. And I have even less of an issue with it now because, like I never had an issue with it. I think he's a fantastic player. He is one of the best young defensemen um, that will not be playing in the NHL next season. He's committed to go back to the University of North Dakota. He'll play at the World Junior Championship. Very likely could be the captain of that team. He is one of the best skaters that you'll see anywhere, just in terms of his speed, his footwork, the the way that he does everything. His offensive game is improving. So I think if we were to look at this class, I think there's a real debate between between Sanderson and both defensemen that were taken in the first two picks. If you look at Power and Hughes, do I think Sanderson would have gone number one overall this year? No, I don't think so. He, he doesn't have the same size profile doesn't have the same offensive upside as either of those two players, but he does have long-term top pairing, top four potential, even though his numbers don't look great. I expect him to put up bigger numbers at the University of North Dakota this year because as I saw at the World Junior Summer Showcase, he took charge. He is going to be very good. So I would probably, if it were me, I would probably go Power, Sanderson, Hughes, Drysdale. Um, and very close between Hughes and Drysdale. I think they're very similar players. I think that Luke might end up being the the more dynamic player in the end. Uh, but Jamie has a lot of great traits as well. So, you know, we're talking, yes. Yeah, so do, do I think that Jake Sanderson and Jamie Drysdale would have been top five picks in this year's draft? I do. I do. Um, you know, would I have taken them over Matty Beneers or William Eklund, who I had very high? I don't necessarily no. I think Beneers would have been my two, you know, go power one, Beneers two, Sanderson three, somewhere in there. And that's also using the benefit of hindsight. If we're looking at the players right now versus looking at the players last draft year. But I think both Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson with what they've shown over the last year since they've been drafted. And keep in mind, Drysdale played NHL games last season. And I thought Sanderson was one of the best young defensemen in the country last year in, in college hockey. You know, I think that there's there's quite a bit there um, to say that they're they're where they're at. All right, this one comes from at GeoFitz4. Why do you think Dylan Duke fell in the draft? And this came after a tweet that I put out um, saying that scouts, you know, and, and other people, people connected to USA Hockey were all wondering, how on earth did Dylan Duke go to the fourth round? And not just that he went to the fourth round, how is it that he was right there at the right time for the Tampa Bay Lightning to use their pick on him. And that is 
the real question, I think. Uh, and <laughs> because Duke was picked 126th overall. This is a guy that some people thought could be a second rounder, maybe a third rounder. I had him pretty high on my list. But he goes 126. And the reason that it's funny that the, the Lightning got him is that he is the absolute kind of guy that they get all the time in the middle rounds. He was highly productive. He's below average in terms of size. He's 5'10". Decent pace. And then he's also got incredible work ethic. He's, he's, he's an incredibly competitive player. So you think about guys like Ross Colton, like... Um, uh, you think of of guys like Tyler Johnson, even the guys that they signed as as, as undrafted free agents, Tyler Johnson, Yanni Gord, um, uh, Anthony Sorelli, Matthew Joseph, guys that they're getting kind of in the mid or mid rounds. And I think that Dylan Duke could be that guy. Now, why did he fall in the draft? I think a lot of it had to do with the size. I think that there were concerns, of, and there were some concerns about, you know, can he play the way that he does at his size at the NHL level? Because so much of what Dylan Duke does is from the offensive faceoff dots down. You look at his goals this year, the only goal that he scored outside of that range was an empty netter. And Dylan Duke is so good around the net. He's got great sense around the net. He's got good touch with the puck, good puck skills. He tips a lot of pucks as well. And I just, I think that there was at least some doubt that he was not going to be able to play that style at the NHL. And maybe he can't, but I do think that he does more. And if he's a very smart player, it's not a character thing because he is uh, a guy that is respected and renowned um, for his character. He's a beloved teammate, um, and you know he just plays the way that endears himself to coaches because he plays hard. He's got a bit of a blue t- blue collar mentality, but it was honestly comical because even when he when he was picked there, I was like, "Oh, that's perfect. That is such a fit," and it's such a thing that Tampa does all the time, and the rest of the teams that let them do this can, repeatedly. Um, I think Dylan Duke is going to be one of those guys that looks very good in the future. Um, he is headed to the University of Michigan, as we talked about earlier, who isn't at this point, but he's headed to the University of Michigan. And, and so it'll be interesting to see where he slots into the lineup, but I could see him very easily working his way onto a power play, working his way into the PK, you know, making a different difference in some, you know, he might be down the lineup because Michigan is so stacked, which we'll get to in our college questions that come later. But man, I mean, I, I, I don't know to answer geo fits for, I don't know exactly why he fell that far but it's certainly to to have him be available and he was the second pick of the lightning they they picked roman schmidt 96th overall one of duke's teammates so at the national team development program so that was an interesting whole situation there all right this next one comes from at gene parmesan nine what are your thoughts on carson lambos and jack pert the jack pert picks once there were more offensively talented players available well this is you know the Minnesota Wild is the team that drafted Carson Lambos in the in the in the first round, Jack Pert in the second round, and I think both of those players are going to be able to have you know good two way capabilities, good you know, and I I think it just kind of comes down to um, preference. And you look at what the Wild have built so far, and they've already got a pretty good group of young forwards in there. They've got Matt Boldy, they've got Adam Beckman, um, you know Alexander Holvinov is in there still. And, and, you know, so they've got talent 
in the pipeline already. And that's not to mention that their rookie of the year, Kirill Kaprizov, is there. So, you know, they've got quite a bit where they're lacking is on the defensive side. They they have um, a really good prospect in Kalen Addison, a guy that they got in the trade um, with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he's going to be an impact prospect for them. Um, I think based on the fact that the Wild ended up picking a goaltender, getting Jesper Wallstedt, and kind of surprising everybody, um, more surprising to me that Edmonton traded out of the slot to get the elite goaltender of the, you know, one of the two elite goaltenders in the class. Um, that was, that was, uh, that was interesting, but I think, you know, it just kind of comes down to, we, we talk about best player available all the time. I think in Carson Lambos's case, it was a very fair range for him to go in. Um, it, you know, there were a lot of teams that had concerns about his health, but it sounds like, you know, that that has been taken care of. And if you take his whole body of work, there's enough there to say, Hey, this guy was trending towards top tier defensemen in this class. I think when we were talking about how great this class was going to be for defense, Carson Lambos was always in that conversation. He was in that conversation more than some other players that ended up jumping in there later on. But I, I think that he's an interesting player. Meanwhile, Jack Pert, and, and he'll come up again in the World Junior Summer Showcase, um, you know, he's Minnesota Mr. Hockey, had a great season at Grand Rapids High School, but he really had a great season with Fargo when he would return. He, he put up numbers. Um, he was a top defenseman in the playoffs for them. He played a lot of minutes. He, he produced. You know, he's, he's got some offensive skill. I think there's a long way for him to go developmentally. So he's a long-term pros prospect and project. But still, he's he's headed to St. Cloud State University next year. He's going to be nearby. He's going to be a guy that they can monitor their 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 draft status and everything. And, and the, the Wild have continued to, to draft exceptionally well in the last couple of years here where they've really changed the dynamic of their prospect system. And when you consider that now it also includes Jesper Wallstedt and Kapo Kakinen having two quality young goaltenders and you know you've got cam talbot for now but then you've got those two young quality goaltenders and whilst that's still you know several years away captain or um uh you know uh cocking and cheese yeah i've got i usually can keep my fin straight here but cocking is also you know he's right there and on the cusp of, of potentially being a starter it was a kind of amazing to me that he didn't get picked by seattle just because of the promise that he has as a goaltender but that that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be interesting to kind of watch and follow. But I think that teams build their lists in certain ways, and those were the guys that were on their list. And you know, sure, there are probably guys that can score more or have more skill. But I, I think that the the Wild feel like they're building a system as opposed to just compiling picks and prospects and in and not focusing on on position. Because as I said, you know, we we talk about best player available, but there's a different way to evaluate that. And every team has a different the, – the best player available is always going to be different to whichever team is there. So I didn't mind the picks. I thought they were fine picks where they got them and and, and really reasonably, uh, you know, done. Um, so we're going to go – we got one question that's 2022 draft related. And then the World Junior Summer Showcase section that I have has a lot of 2021 draft eligible players. So if it's bouncing around a little bit, but I'm trying to – keep it together and keep the train moving here. But anyway, this next one comes from at Tommy Anroth. Is there a competition for the number one pick in 2022? I really like Ivan Roshashenko and Matthew Savoy, but from what I have seen, it seems like Shane Wright is the clear number one. 
phenomenal performance at the U18s despite missing the whole year. And you're right, Tommy. He had an unbelievable performance. I mean, he had 14 points in the tournament, uh, missed time with injury. Didn't learn that until after the fact. And he was on the 31 Thoughts podcast and saying how he played through um, you know, uh, a fractured, I can't remember, it was a fractured wrist. He had illness. He was really struggling. And if his, I wrote this in the profile about our 2022 draft, which you can see on hockeysense.com is that his 80% was better than most of his peers. 100%, you know, like it's, it's, it's remarkable. So the thing that's really interesting about Shane Wright is I think he's, you know, he's, he's had to be mature. He's always played up a level. He's mature beyond his years. He's more physically developed. He has great hockey sense. He has a great sense of the game as a whole. I voted for him for MVP at the World Under 18s. He didn't get it, but he was my choice because I thought that he was he made Canada different when he was on the ice. He, they were a better team when he was in the lineup. He did sit out two games during that tournament, um, but it didn't matter. You know, it, it didn't matter in terms of wins and losses, but it mattered in terms of how the team looked, and they just looked more threatening. With him on the ice, he's got a great shot. Had 39 goals as a rookie in the OHL, and so you know he he also had the the second highest points per game rate by a 15 year old in OHL history. Only John Tavares had, had better, so he was ahead of Connor McDavid in his 15 year old season. So it's pretty incredible to to, to have watched what he did and what he accomplished in that tournament, and also Connor Bedard, who's the 2023 draft eligible. You know, I do think that Ivan Rashashenko is probably the closest to right in terms of full package of, of skills. He is a remarkable talent. He's got speed. He's got strength. He's got some power, great shot, really good playmaking ability, soft hands, and he competes. I mean, he just, he absolutely battles. He plays with such passion and fire that that's why I really like Rashashenko as the number two guy in this class for right now. Um, and, and Tommy mentioned Matthew Savoy as well. He had a great season in the USHL. He was displaced from the, the, the WHL. He plays for the Winnipeg Ice. And, um, you know, he'll be going back to the WHL this season. I fully expect him to put up big numbers. He's a highly skilled player, very deceptive with the puck on his stick. He's got good skating ability. I think that there was a time where we viewed his skating ability as kind of this electric tool. I, I think a lot of guys, as he's matured, a lot of guys have kind of caught up to him in terms of skating, but he still has a really good skating ability. Um, and he just finds ways to score. He's always scoring goals and um, he, he, he can be dangerous that way. And a, a guy that I think a lot of people, um, you know, if you're following prospects, you probably aren't sleeping on him at all. But D Danila Yurov, uh, who was the youngest goal scorer in the KHL last year, uh, second youngest ever to score a goal in the KHL playoffs, um, he is an absolute talent. And he's got speed, he's got size, he's got some strength to him. Um, when he shoots, he shoots with intent, with purpose. And I mean, he places shots so well, uh, as he did at the world juniors or world under 18s. And he also did it professionally as well. You know, in the KHL, he, he was good at the, the U20 level, pretty much gave Metallurg no, no re reason to keep him down in, in the U20 league. So, you know, he played over 20 games in the KHL at, at 17 years old. It's a pretty impressive feat for a young guy. So, uh, keep an eye on those names. I don't think that there's really going to be a lot of challengers for Wright. I think Wright will go wire to wire, assuming that everything goes well and we have an OHL season. And, you know, it'll be very interesting to see if there isn't or if there's a delay to the OHL season as we continue to, you know, have this ever-evolving Delta variant situation. Um, you know, there is always the possibility. It's been at least rumored and, and suggested that Matthew Savoy could at some point end up in the USHL. I think they're 
you know, especially now with the, the, the name image and likeness rules in the NCAA, there might be some more wiggle room for players that have say endorsement deals like equipment deals and, 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 um, uh, trading card deals as top prospects tend to get well before they're drafted. So, uh, who knows, keep an eye on that situation. But I, I think either way, Shane Wright can't afford to miss another year of hockey. So he'll be playing somewhere next season. No doubt about it. All right, we're moving to the World Junior Summer Showcase. And if you aren't familiar with what that event is, it's typically, it's it's primarily used as Team USA's World Junior Camp. However, Sweden and Finland bring big rosters over. They're also using it to try and make decisions for their own World Junior teams. And this has been going on for a long time. I went to my first one when I was an intern at USA Hockey back in 2007. Back then it was known as the National Junior Evaluation Camp. Uh, Patrick Kane and James Van Riemsdyk had just been drafted 1-2 in that draft. There was a lot of buzz about them. Uh, the, sto- the show was kind of stolen by Mikhail Granlund. He was one of the guys that was there as well as an underager for Finland and just uh, a remarkable talent. So, you know, I think that there's – it's such a great way to start the season. So in this year, it was even better because we just had the draft and there were all these great players and it was awesome to see – you know, these guys right after getting drafted, some of them in the first round and and then a lot of guys on day two having to go and compete on the same day they got drafted or during, not knowing if they were going to be drafted. Um, and, and so it's essentially, you know, Finland and Sweden played six games. The U.S. teams were split squad teams and they played five games. The U.S. normally would cut down rosters about midway through camp so that they could have one big team. They decided not to do that this year just to give everybody a, a good a good look. Um, they did move pieces around, and then they did have a team at the end of the camp that kind of looked like what the if you were to pick the team straight out of the camp, that's who you would have taken was the team on the blue roster. So if you have seen the piece on um, uh, on Hockey Sense on Substack, there's a a full breakdown of this tournament. So. I'm going to give you some of the highlights here based on the questions that I got. But if you want to read more about that, I wrote a, a capsule on all 94 players that competed and then added in Maddie Veneers, who didn't compete but wanted to give a, a shout-out for his showing up and, and, and being, part of the, being part of it. But there's a whole long list there. So if you don't hear about a player here and you would like to know, you can go over to hockeysense.substack.com look up the uh, World Junior Summer Showcase player evaluations and you will get to learn more about it. So that is that is a, a premium piece, so you will have to subscribe for that. But I put a lot of work into it and, and was lucky enough to be at the World Junior Summer Showcase doing the broadcast uh, for Hockey TV. And I was so pleased to, to be on the on the call with Pete Krupski, who's the voice of the National Team Development Program, was the, with the Plymouth Whalers a long time before that. Um, so you can also go back and watch the archives if you'd like to go on Hockey TV or if you have a Hockey TV membership already and would like to see that the archives are available. So a lot of good players there. All right, we'll start it off with at a corporals. Hey, Chris, subscriber here based on the on his World Junior Summer Showcase of performances. Which year does Atu Ratu win the Calder Trophy, 2022 or 2023? <laughs> well, as I mentioned earlier... Um, and uh, we had another one. Lou, Lou Lamarillo's burner account also asked if it is did Atu Ratu look like a first rounder in camp? Well, the answer is yes, he did. He had 14 points. Um, he had four goals in the first game against Sweden, and that was hours after he was drafted. Four goals, and he also missed on a penalty shot. So five. 
So I don't think Aturatu is going to be contending for the Calder Trophy next year or the year after, but I do think that he's going to be an impact player down the road if he can do a couple of things. The, the things that he still needs to work on is the skating. You know, he needs to get a little bit more power. He needs to create some more separation. He has decent short distance quickness, but not real explosiveness, not the ability to separate. And, and you know, so he's not as dangerous that way. What looked great, however, his hands were as quick as they've ever been. I think that that was one of the things. He looked more dynamic. He looked more engaged offensively. And that was something I think the confidence was back. The other thing that I think really mattered was he competed. And shift-to-shift competitiveness for, for him has been a has been an issue. I think there's been concerns about attitude and things like that, about, you know, and 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 how much did the draft year and the pressure get to him? That's all in there. That's all part of what I think happened to him last season is that, you know, that happened. But he's showing that he can bounce back. And I think he scored NHL caliber goals, really quick release, heavy shots from good areas, you know, getting shots through screens, putting shots through defensemen's legs, trying to, you know, fooling the goalie with changing the angle, all those different things. But he was also creating some space for himself with his stick handling. He was a really good playmaker. Roni Hervinen had eight goals on his wing, you know, and I think Ratu must have assisted on most of them. Um, and so, you know, really that was a great performance. So I don't think he's going to be contending for the Calder Trophy, but I do think that he looked like a first rounder. And I think that he uh, made a lot of uh, GMs, you know, at least a little uncomfortable about passing on him. I don't think they regret it yet. It's too early to say that. This one comes from Mr. Mixie Plidzik is how I'm going to pronounce it. One. At Mr. Mixie Plidzik one How has Luke Hughes looked at the World Junior Summer Showcase? And please, no more Riley, uh, Chase Stillman blurbs there. Bumming me out. Thanks. All right. Well, the Devils did pick Chase Stillman late in the first round. And, you know, that it was fine. It's not a pick that I would necessarily would have made in the first round. But I understand why they did it. And, you know, Chase Stillman's a good player. So uh, I hope that makes you feel a little bit better, um, Mr. Mixie Plidzik. Plidzik? I don't know. We're... I'm just going with that. But anyway, uh, Luke Hughes. So the big question about Luke Hughes coming into the World Junior Summer Showcase was, how is he skating? You know, how's the skating? He, he had a laceration on his foot, um, you know, that was believed to be, it wasn't really necessarily believed to be serious, but it was serious enough that it kept him out of the World Under-18 Championship. But, it you know, it didn't, I don't think there was a ton of concern about the long-term implications of the injury, unlike some of the reports that I saw out there. Um, I know that Luke himself was never really that worried about it. And he played with such confidence. Now, he played a lot with Jake Sanderson, who we talked about a little bit ago. Um, they're both left-shot defensemen. Luke played a little bit more on the right side, and I thought his skating looked good, his decisions looked good. Looked a little rusty at times, though, too, because he had been off for three months. But I think he got his timing back. He got some of that confidence back. We saw some of the trademark rushes. You know, he's a really good, he does a really good job of getting pucks into the zone. He's nice on on zone entries and then getting pucks into the middle. Um, He's a really good passer. He likes to pass off the backhand a lot too, um, you know, and he he can be deceptive that way. Uh, Makes good decisions with the puck. And I thought that there was, you know, a chance for him to produce more than he did. He didn't have any points, I don't believe, uh, in, in the event. But, you know, I think that for a guy that had been off for three months, he looked really good. And... I'm I'm really excited to see where he goes at Michigan this year because he should play a pretty significant role pretty quickly. At JS Godan asks how Shai Buyam has looked in the tournament so far. So Shai Buyam was 
Uh, a second round pick of the of the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, he had a great season with Sioux City last year. I think he grew and grew and grew as the season went on. He was one of those guys that really just improved start to finish. Started the year at Shattuck St. Mary's when things were starting to get a little sketchy there in terms of, you know, they, they had a lot of shutdowns. They weren't able to play as many games as they normally would have. He goes to Sioux City plays an impact role and becomes essentially their top defenseman over time. Um, and I think what I saw at the world junior summer showcase, he did not end up making the, the roster that, you know, was like the a squad in the, in the last day of camp, but he had a really good start to the camp. And it, even though he faded a little bit, I think we saw flashes of what can be, he might not be ready yet for the world juniors, uh, but he is getting close and the upside is there. He's got tremendous size He's got some agility. He can use his feet to escape pressure. He has good puck skills, a good shot. So, you know, I think that those are all good things. It's just everything needs to happen just a little bit quicker. And it, once he gets to that stage, and I think he can get there, it's going to be a, a real good opportunity for whoever, you know, for the Red Wings to just continue to developing that talent. He's headed to the University of Denver, great spot for defensemen. Um, you know, he's, he's going to develop well there. He's going to play a pretty sizable role early. Um, I, I think that he really, get, he put himself on the map for the world junior team. If he doesn't make it this year, he still has a year of eligibility, but I thought that he was very good in the camp. And he's a guy that I think that Red Wings fans should keep a close eye on in college because there are a lot of things that he does really well that I think will only get better as he just kind of understands the game a little bit more and plays at a bit of a higher pace. At Jamie Lauren asks how St. Louis draft pick Dylan Peterson looked at camp. And Dylan Peterson, uh, you know, was one of those guys I thought was always so underrated on his U18 team. You know, he came into camp, and I think that, you know, there's there's a big difference between a good prospect and a world junior player. And the, the world juniors is more about what you can do right now. Um, and the draft and prospects, it's about what can you do later and what will you do when you have reached your, you know, the, the peak of your development arc and, and can make your NHL debut. I think Dylan Peterson is still on the front end of that arc. And, and he's a, he's a guy that can be a power forward. He has some skill. He's got a good shot. Um, I, he, he ended up making the, the, he didn't make the, the top roster at the world junior camp. I think he's still in the mix just because, you know, he's got that size and, and, and that, that physicality that they potentially will need. Um, but, you know, I think it was just a matter of I, I'm not necessarily sure that he's going to be at that level yet. Um, you know, last year was a strange season at Boston University as well where, you know, they had a shortened season. They didn't play as much as most of the other college programs did. So I'd like to see what he does with a full year of development. You know, if he doesn't make the team this time around, he won't be eligible next year. So he's kind of time is of the essence. So he's going to need a big first half. But that's an interesting player to keep an eye on um, and, and a St. Louis Blues prospect as well. At Archam95 asks, what are your thoughts on Jack Pert's play in the showcase? And is it true that Jesper Wallstedt is planning on playing in the CHL this year? If so, why go from a pro league to a lesser skill league than the CHL? Also, thoughts on Marat Kuznutdinov, if possible. Curious if Wild fans should be worried about him staying over in Russia after his contract is up like Kirill Kaprizov did. All right, so there's a multiple questions in there. The you know I talked a little bit about Jack Pert earlier. I think Pert falls in the same court category as Booyam and Peterson. Not quite ready for the World Juniors. I thought that he he underperformed a little bit 
based on the standard that I thought he set in the playoffs of the USHL last year. Um, I don't think he's going to be part of the world junior team, but I, he will be a guy that they have to keep an eye on because I think he'll play a pretty significant role at St. Cloud State. So he was fine there. The other two questions I'll answer uh, as well, even though neither of those players were in the world junior summer showcase, but it is about the world junior. So works for me. Um, Jesper Wallstedt, there was a report that came out, I believe uh, it was Jim Matheson from uh, Edmonton that, that, reported that there there's rumors that Wallstedt was going to um, go to the Portland Winterhawks in the WHL. And I have not been able to confirm that independently. Um, and I don't necessarily know that that's going to be the case in the end. But why would a goalie do that? And there's one reason for Wallstedt to leave Sweden. I don't necessarily, it, it to me, it doesn't make much of a difference. But the one reason to do it is if the, it, it, it's more guaranteed playing time. It's more reps. And when you're a young goaltender, there are a few things more important than reps. So if you play in the SHL like Wallstedt did last season and you lose your starting job or you or you or or a veteran outplays you and the coach is more trusting of the veteran player, you won't get as many reps. You'll still practice with the team. You'll still get spot starts. You'll still come in in relief and those things. But you need to get experience as a number one. And that means playing a lot. And... And I think that that's something that certainly the Minnesota Wild will want to keep an eye on. Um, you know, certainly Team Sweden for the World Juniors because he would likely be the number one um, because you know they have some other options. But he's the guy that I think you really got to keep an eye on uh, because you want him developing. You want him to continue to play. So that's the only reason that you would go from pro to junior. Um so I don't necessarily know if that's going to happen, but it's a good question because I think that we think that a lot. I think goaltending is the one position where reps are of the utmost importance. Um, and, and whether you get them at the CHL level or at the Swedish Hockey League level, just as long as you're getting consistent reps and consistent playing time, I think that's the most important thing, especially for a younger goaltender like Wallstep. As far as Marat Huznutinov is concerned, um, you know he got injured last season. Seems like he's back. You know, he's he's playing already for for uh, Russia in some preseason events. I love the player. I think he's got tremendous work ethic. He very well could be Russia's captain at the World Juniors this year. He's not a big guy, but he just he plays with such jam and and he's got good pace and he can he can fly up and down the wings and you know make plays. He's got some defensive abilities as well. I think if you're a Wild fan, you don't necessarily worry about Huznutinov the same way that you worry about. Kaprizov because I don't think that you know uh, the thing about Kaprizov is that you know he was he was essentially a national hero you know he scored the goal in the in the gold medal game and you know he was going to be paid a lot of money and those guys can make a lot more money at younger ages than you know if they if they come over and play on their entry-level contract so it's a big deal. Now, as far as Huznutinov is concerned, his contract is up next year. Now, he can extend that, and maybe he will. But if he doesn't, then then it, you know there's a, a higher likelihood that he comes over next season, and then all of a sudden you get him into the situation. I don't necessarily think he's going to be NHL ready by next season, or the 2022-23 you know, season. But if you can get him into your system, you can get him into Iowa – play at the uh, um, the AHL level where the Wild have really invested in development and are starting to get more rewards from their AHL system, um, I think that's a really good thing. It's a really good place to be. So I'm excited to see where he kind of ends up. 
um, after this season. But I think that if you're a Wild fan, that's the kind of guy that, you, you know, he'll become a fan favorite. He'll be a guy that you root for. Um, and, yeah, hopefully it won't be that long before you get to see him. At FlyerFan16 asks, any first impressions on Samu Tuomala? So Samu Tuomala was picked in the second round by the Philadelphia Flyers, um, and I spotlighted him as a potential first-round caliber pick uh, in the second round. That, you know, the, the Flyers lost their first-round pick in the Rasmus Ristolainen trade. Um, it was a big price to pay for the defenseman. We'll see how it works out in the end. But I think Tuomala still has the opportunity to be a really talented player. Now, at the World Junior Summer Showcase, he started on the top line with Ratu and uh, Hirvinen and continually moved down the depth chart. I think that he, he kind of faded as the thing went on. But when he was playing with those guys, you saw the pace, you saw the playmaking ability, you saw the scoring ability. Um, you know, Hirvinen was the guy that really was the shooter for that line. So, you know, Tuomala is more of a shooter himself. You'd rather kind of see him in those shooting situations. So they were trying to find the right mix for him. And I don't know that they ever found it. Um, but I do think that he's a guy that will be on their world junior roster. He plays with good pace. He's not a big guy, but he's got a tremendous shot. He had a standout performance at the under 18 worlds. And so, you know, I think it was a situation where the, over the summer, you know, Finland was the best team there and he was a part of that, you know, he was a part of making that happen. And so, um, I really like the player. I think that the Flyers have a really good prospect and got tremendous value getting him in the second round, especially not having that first-round pick. All right, this one comes from at C. Pelusi, and he asks for thoughts on the Penguins' prospects. And the Penguins had, you know, this is a prospect system that does not have a ton of bodies in it. They don't have a lot of depth. But they did have in this camp Tristan Bros, Chase Yoder, uh, Joel Blomquist and Callie Klang. So they had players that, you know, pretty good. Tristan Bros was a second round pick this year out of Fargo in the USHL. I thought he was a really, I thought he had a really good camp. He didn't end up making the A squad um, on the last day of camp, but I think that, you know, they had him at center for the B squad essentially. And I think that that's a good sign for, you know, we're still looking at him. Uh, we want to see him in different positions, want to see him in different roles. I think Bros can be a guy that can play down your lineup and provide some scoring depth. I don't necessarily know if there's going to be a spot for him this year, but you know it'll be interesting. Thought Chase Yoder was actually one of the pleasant surprises of camp. He plays at the at Providence College for, for for Nate Lehman, who's the head coach of Team USA, and they put him in more of a depth grinding, you know, kind of checking role. But he also showed really good skill. He scored some goals. He was good on the PK. Um, he fit a role, and I think that that's what you need to do. And I think if, as Yoder progresses, you know, he's got enough skill to provide some scoring depth, but he's very defensively responsible. He's physical. He's he's disciplined. You know, so I, I think that that's going to be a guy that has a real chance to make the junior roster in a depth role. And it doesn't hurt that the, you know he's been playing for Nate Lehman all year at Providence, and the head coach of Team USA is going to get a first. He'll know better than anybody if he's ready for the challenge uh, of playing down the lineup at the World Juniors. And then the, the two goaltenders. So Joel Blomquist played for um, for Finland and Kelly Klang for Sweden. I thought Klang was the better of the two goalies. He he was, you know, essentially became Sweden's primary guy, even though they, they were bad. Like Sweden was just not good in this event. They only won one game. Um, Klang was in the net for that one, the fu the finale. I think that he just is so steady and reserved. They're, they're both very similar goalies. You know, they've got decent size. They've got good mobility. Um, they, they're very technically sound. They have very quiet, you know, movements. They're they're confident in the crease. They have good body language. All those different things that you look for in goaltenders. I thought Bloomquist was the same way. You know, they he, he got a little bit outplayed by Levi, Levi Marilainen, 
uh, Marilainen from uh, the Ottawa Senators draft pick in the camp, but he was still a very quality goaltender and a guy that I think that you know there's there's a lot of promise for. So um, not at all surprised to see those guys um, you know per- perform well. I've, I thought they were good picks at the time, and you hope one of the two pan out. And obviously the Penguins are in a situation now where the goalies of the future matter, and I think both of those guys could potentially round out into that. I don't necessarily know if either is a comfortably projects as a number one in the NHL, but they're good goaltending prospects and they're guys that you can work with. So, um, but yeah, that's uh that, that's a, that's a good question. And, and um, that's what we have for the world junior summer showcase for today. So as I mentioned, please check out hockey sense. There's a lot more on every single player and it's broken down by NHL team too. So if you have a particular team that you like a lot, go ahead and just find that team and you'll find the the list of, of players and, and I've got capsules on every single one of them. I spent a lot of time on it, so I hope that you enjoy that. All right, now we got a little bit of college hockey. And this is also 2021 draft related, so uh, we're kind of double dipping here. This one comes from at rbales82. Assuming all the 2021 draftees end up playing there, has there ever been a more anticipated NCAA hockey team this season than the upcoming Michigan one? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, maybe I wasn't... I wasn't as conscious. I was I was following college hockey, but I was like eight years old or nine years old when the University of Maine had their unbelievable team. So I don't uh, I don't know how anticipated the Paul Korea team was nationally, um, but I do know you know this year there's really there's never been assuming everybody comes back from Michigan and we do think that that at least you know Maddie Beniers, Kent Johnson. Luke Hughes is definitely going. Mackie Samuskevich will be there. Still there are, are, are Johnny Beecher and 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 Brendan Bersan, a couple of first rounders. Thomas Bortolo, a second rounder who plays like a first rounder. Um, you know, there, there are so many drafted players there. Um, but then you obviously have the guys. You got Owen Power. Is he going to come back? Is Manny Beneers going to come back? You know, those are the questions I think that, that they are likely to. And if they do then yes, this would be the most anticipated season. I don't think you've, there's never been a situation where you had four top five picks on one roster in college hockey history. It's ridiculous. It's honestly ridiculous how much draft talent and how many prospects are on one team. Because, you know, pretty much everybody on the roster, you know, almost everybody, it feels like, is drafted. And then they're going to have Eric Portillo in net. He is a Buffalo Sabres draft pick. You know, Strauss Mann moved on from last year. The interesting thing is going to be, will Michigan contend with as young a roster as they have? And I think that the talent level that they have is such that, yes, they'll contend. Um, but it's going to be difficult. And they're going to need good goaltending. They're going to need, you know, good scoring. And they've got a lot of weapons. And the, the the real challenge right now is for Mel Pearson to find out where he's going to play all these guys. But just a, and just an aside, if you want to go back and listen to the Mel Pearson episode, you'll go back in the the Hockey Sense archives, Talking Hockey Sense archives, and you'll find it because there was a lot of great content in there about those guys that were drafted so highly. And you know, we're we're certainly excited. I know I'll be anytime uh, Michigan is nearby. Certainly going to be checking them out. All right, our next one comes from Eric Vigo, and he asks, who who do you have as the top college hockey UFAs to watch this upcoming year, and who are the college hockey commits coming up on August 1st? So we're past August 1st. Um, it, you know, there have been a lot of 
recruits that are, are committing to colleges now because they had a, a, a freeze on recruiting for a while uh, due to COVID. And then there's been a lot of more rules in terms of contact and all those other things. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest recruits, I'll, I'll do that first, that, you know, made a commitment already um, was uh, Charlie Stramel, who I think is going to be a top 2023 NHL draft pick. I think he's going to be a top 10 potential guy. He's already six foot three, over 200 pounds. Um, you know, he, he is, he has been an incredible talent. He was at the world junior summer showcase. Um, he will be on the under 18 team this year. So he'll be playing his draft season at the university of Wisconsin where he committed. I should probably have said that earlier, but Charlie Stramel verbally committed to the university of Wisconsin. And I think that that is one of the top prizes that you could have asked for. Um, if you're the Badgers, they've, you know, just after having Cole Caulfield as a Hobie Baker winner last year, you know, having some real quality players, Corson Kuhlman's will be there this year, a first-round draft pick, getting Charlie Stramel, another big get for the Badgers. So, uh, Eric, I know you're you're a gopher guy, but uh, that's uh, that that's what's going on. But here's here's the good one, because the top college hockey UFAs includes a Golden Gopher, and that'd be Ben Myers from the Gophers. I, I think that he was a guy that many many teams were after last season as a college free agent. He's gonna be. Highly sought after. I thought it was the absolute correct move for him to go back to school, not because I don't think that he could play in the NHL, but because I think that, you know, sometimes you can rush a little bit to get out of school. Now, Ben Myers is a older player. Um, he's 22 years old already. He's going to be a 22-year-old junior. But you look at what he's done over his two years at Minnesota, 26 points as a freshman, 28 points last year, and, and that was in 31 games last year. You know He's going to be a guy that a lot of teams are after. I think the skating is, is phenomenal. He, he plays hard. Um, he gives you, a, you know, great energy, great shifts all the way around. So, you know, here's a guy that also has a track record of production in junior. So those are the types of guys that teams are looking for because they say, hey, this is a guy that we feel like is, is much closer to NHL ready. You know, he's a bit of a late bloomer, but we think we can get a lot out of him. And I, I think that Ben Myers is going to be a guy that has many, many NHL teams after him next season. Also, another guy to keep a close eye on is Mark McLaughlin from uh, Boston College. I had the pleasure of watching him when he played at the, the um, with, with the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders, not far from where I live. And, you know, his work ethic always stands out. I think he's a really good two-way center. He's, he's physical. He gets engaged. He had his best offensive season as a, as a college player last year. I thought there was a chance that he might come out, but you know, he's going to be wearing, uh, he's going to be wearing the C for Boston college once again. And I think that he, I believe he was in uh, the Boston Bruins uh, player development camp that they had recently. So, you know, to get a guy that could be a two-year captain in college, a guy that's worked his way up, um, and, and the fact that you know he's he's going to be uh, he's a 22 year old senior this year, um, I think that's a guy that, that a lot of people are going to be looking at as a college free agent. There are some others like Akito Hiroshi. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll see some goaltenders. Cameron Rowe from the from Wisconsin is another guy to keep an eye on. You know, he had a really nice breakout season. I, I don't think that he'll he'll get a contract right away. Uh, but that's a guy that I yeah, kind of circled. I thought, you know, maybe he could get drafted and, you know, never passed through a couple of drafts there. So, uh, but he had a really nice season with Wisconsin last year. I think he's a guy that will get on some NHL radars as well. So that's, that's what I got for college UFAs. I mean, it'll be a very interesting year. Um, and the other thing about college is that, you know, you've got these, these uh, guys that are staying for an extra year. Mitchell Lewandowski is opting to stay for a fifth year. 
at uh, Michigan State. That's a guy that I think teams will be looking at as a, as one of those older players that, hey, maybe there's something there. Um, so keep an eye out on that. But a lot of guys getting that extra season in. Um, a lot of transfers as well. So a lot of movement in college hockey. It's an ever-evolving landscape. All right. So our last question, this is just a general prospect question, uh, but uh, it's about you know one of the most loaded prospect systems in the entire league, and that comes from at Leo Bar 6. With the long-term contract Los Angeles gave to Philippe Deneau, it sounds like they prefer to put most of their young center prospects on the wing. Of course, Quentin Byfield is staying at center, but do you agree that Turcotte, Velarde, Kupari, and others are better serving on the wing, and Jared Anderson Dolan can still be a 4C? Well, I think you know the, the, the Kings have purposely drafted a lot of centers because they don't all have to be centers, for one. Um, it's not the end of the world if they're not. Uh, I don't know necessarily like you know you look at Deneau and so you got Kopitar and Deneau for the long term Byfield also in there you know is he your 2C or 3C he's not your 2C next year I can tell you that Uh, but you know is he going to be able to play a a credible you know bottom six role as a young player I'm not necessarily sure about that I think you know he'll be with the Kings one way or another and maybe it is better to get him on the wing and then I think otherwise, you know, Kupari has been a guy that I've always targeted as a wing. I don't think that he was really on the track to be a center at the NHL level. Jared Anderson, Dolan, you know, real quality depth kind of center. Gabe Velarde, you could kind of put him anywhere. You want his offensive tools uh, to, 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 to flourish. And and same Alex Turcotte. You know, I think Turcotte's been a guy that, that can play in a lot of different places for you. And then they also drafted uh, uh, Samuel Hellenius as well This in this last draft, a six foot six center. Um, that you know very well could be, you know, they're a depth center down the road. So, I mean, they have a lot of options, and that's one of the great things about the the LA Kings prospect system and why it's so fun to track is that they have put such an emphasis on collecting and compiling prospects, and now they have you know Brent Clark who fills a need that they didn't have as as much depth at. They've had such depth at the forward position. Um, but you know, they, they, they had a really good draft, all four guys. They only had four picks this year cause they traded around and, and moved up, moved down all this other stuff. Um, but they had four picks and all four guys they picked were on my top 100 this year. So obviously I'm the, like the class because you know, my own bias towards my own list, but I think that they really have continued to improve and to build and they they've set it up now. This was a draft where they went over quantity or, or sorry, quality over quantity. And then you look at like the Carolina hurricanes and they went quantity over quality well they're hoping they get both but you know like they they drafted 13 players so you know whereas the kings only drafted four so it's a really interesting approach and it's something that i'll be keeping an eye on but um but to 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 get more back to your question leo i think that they are it as long as you can find a spot for them on your nhl roster that's great if you can't the one thing about a prospect system as deep and as broad as the la kings are the LA Kings system is at this point. Now you have to start looking at where are the tweaks that we can make for more immediate help and at which prospects are expendable as assets for that. Because there are certainly going to be teams out there that are going to be looking at these guys. I mean, Tyler Madden and Arthur Kalia, they're all coming. They're all coming at some point. Um, so you have to kind of think about where all of these guys are going to fit in the long term, And not all of them are going to fit. Not everybody can play for your prospect system. So uh, but yes, but thank you for all of the questions today. We managed to get through this podcast in 
just under an hour and 20 minutes. And I hope that you've stuck with us this long. Hopefully I covered some of the topics that you wanted to hear, but stay tuned for next week's episode because we are going to have a heavy, heavy focus on the 2022 NHL draft class. Yes, that's right. We are turning the page on 2021, even though it's only a few weeks in the rear view because the 2022 draft season has already started. And if you want to get a jump on next week's episode, go over to hockeysense.substack.com. Check out my 2022 NHL draft watch list. I've got an early top 10 featuring Shane Wright, Ivan Marashtashenko, and a whole bunch of others. And then I've got a couple dozen more players that are in that mix for the next tier and the guys that you should know about, names to know for the draft next year. They're not all going to be first-rounders, but they're players that I've liked in my early viewings, and there's a lot more to get to. So stay tuned for next week's episode. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about the next draft to come. I'm sure we'll also recap a little bit more with my very special guest who is a repeat So we'll see who it can be. So you'll have to come back next week to find out who it is on Talking Hockey Sense. Well, that's going to do it for me. I'm Chris. This is Talking Hockey Sense. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll catch you next time.